Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining me on the phone line now is our guy, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio host. He's with us every single Wednesday at this time. He's one half of Freddie and Fitzsimmons. And tonight, with no Red Sox baseball, we will have Freddie and Fitzsimmons for you in full right here on WDEV beginning at 9 p.m. Well, actually, they're going to be on after the Dodgers-Cardinals game. So the 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 uh, late version of Freddie and Fitzsimmons <laughs> tonight. So, Freddie, how are you? I'm good, brother. How's everything with you, Brady? Well, things are mostly good. Red Sox beat the Yankees last night, eliminate them, end their season 6-2. What did you think of the game overall? Well, it's a clear case of when you don't have dudes that want to play hard or at least play with some kind of urgency, you're going to get what you get. And so you can throw money at players all you want if you're the New York Yankees. But the Boston Red Sox had some dudes out there last night. We've seen that from them, especially the latter part of the season. We've seen that all season long from teams like Tampa Bay, the San Francisco Giants, the St. Louis Cardinals, definitely in September. You can't just go out there and say we're the New York Yankees and that's going to be it, especially in a game where you needed Garrett Cole to go out there and be the dominant pitcher that you're paying $36 million per year for. And he, looked like he couldn't wait to get out of there because he didn't have it by the third inning. So that told me all I needed to know about you can have star players but you need guys that want to play hard and would rather die than lose. And I did not see that from the New York Yankees. And to be honest with you, Brady, we didn't see that from that baseball team all season long. Yeah, Freddie, you were very tough last night on Aaron Boone. I actually disagreed with you. I mentioned it earlier today. I'm going to talk about it again later. I disagreed with you on this. I don't think Aaron Boone is the problem in New York. Why do you think he's not holding up his end of the bargain? Well, here's why I don't think he's holding into the bargain, because Aaron Boone, at a certain point, you can't just say that everybody else has closed the gap on the New York Yankees when this organization has only won one American League pennant in the last 19. And that's why the players have to take some blame. There's no doubt about that, Brady. But there's something where Aaron Boone does not get more out of them than he should. It seems as he looks at that talented team and says they're going to play to their talent. It's got to be more than that. And any great manager and any great coach, you can have great players, but you got to make sure you get the greatness out of them in key situations. And, yeah, Garrett Cole should, Garrett Cole should have been a lot better last night. There's no doubt about that. Maybe that isn't anything that Aaron Boone could have done that. But I've seen too many times, I've heard too many times we've had this conversation that the Yankees always fall short of their talent. You can't just put that all on the players. you got to put some of it on them, no doubt about that. But when you put that on the manager, when you have that kind of ability and talent, you should not be in a wild-card situation if you're the New York Yankees. That's on the players. But I think a lot of that should be placed at Aaron Boone and on his feet because he's the one that has to make sure he puts the best lineup out there and get the most out of that lineup time and time again. And we've seen that team fall way too short too many times with Aaron Boone as the manager of the Yankees. Well, it will be a long, cold offseason in New York. But the Red Sox, they're going to play tomorrow night. They're going to take on the Tampa Bay Rays in Tampa. Freddie, I want to move over to the NFL. Patriots, surprisingly, announced earlier today they're releasing Stephon Gilmore. Now they trade him for a sixth-round pick to the Carolina Panthers. What would you think of the Gilmore drama today and the Pats ultimately walking away from probably their best defensive player? I look at it this way. We've seen this in Bill Belichick time and time again, Brady, that if he believes that you can't sustain the kind of play you've been able to put out there or if he believes you're past your due date, he gets very, very gangster immediately when it comes to those kind of situations with players. If he believes that you can't help this football team, that you're not going to be there where you can be the kind of player that you should be no matter what position that's going to be, he's going to just move on, and he is very cutthroat when it comes to those kind of situations. 
And we've seen that time and time again. He did it with Richard Seymour. He did it with Drew Bledsoe. He did it with Tom Brady, for crying out loud. After 20 years, he believed that Tom Brady was not going to be that quarterback anymore, and he did not have any qualms on moving on. So I guess anything he does, and it's not more of a guess thing, Everybody should look at it this way and say, Bill Belichick is always going to do what he believes is best for that organization and best for that football team. So it may be a surprise what happened with Stephon Gilmore, but based on the track record of Bill Belichick during his 20-plus years in New England, nobody should be surprised, if anything, when he does something because it's always about what's best for the team and not what's best for the fans or anybody else, what kind of feelings they have about players that he cuts ties with in New England. Would the Pats have made this move if they were 3-1 and one instead of 1-3? and three? Yeah, it would have clearly made this move because Bill Belichick does not look at records in terms of, okay, if he doesn't believe that they're playing to any kind of the abilities of the players or the standards that he has set forth in his organization, records don't matter to Bill Belichick from that standpoint. Prime example, when he moved on from Drew Bledsoe and brought in Tom Brady, people said, would he have made that move? They were 2 no. Well, if he believed that Drew Bledsoe had not gotten hurt at a certain point, Tom Brady's going to be the starting quarterback. And then when Tom Brady gets hurt before the AFC Championship game, Drew Bledsoe gets it there. He saves his bacon by beating Pittsburgh on the road. And two weeks later in the Super Bowl, who's the starting quarterback? That guy was Tom Brady. Bill Belichick is always going to have that cold, scar-faced ability to say what's going to be best for the organization. And it doesn't matter whose feelings are going to get hurt or if he has to move on from somebody. It does not matter if they were 1-3 and three or 3-1. Three and one. I firmly believe he'd have made that decision no matter what. We're talking with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio here on the Brady Farkas Show tonight on WDEV, AM and FM. The Pats reportedly asked Gilmore to take a pay restructure and to help the team's situation financially. Should we be upset with Gilmore that he didn't take it, that he didn't take one for the team to help him out? No, because if you're Stephon Gilmore, if you're any NFL player, when a team approaches you and they want to restructure your, restructure your contract to take the pay cut, you do have the right of refusal. Now, the bottom line with that is if you refuse that, they will move on from you. We have seen that with plenty of other teams. Prime example, Jalen Smith of the Dallas Cowboys, where he got an extension in 2019. They wanted him to take a pay cut. He said, I'm not going to do that. So the Cowboys decided to move on from him after four games. We've seen that time and time again, Brady, and people get on players and will take one for the team. Not for nothing. There are plenty of times we don't use that narrative when teams move on from players, where you say maybe you should have kept that player. It seems that it's a lot stronger when people say the players should do what's best for the team when plenty of times the team is going to do what's best for them. And if that means that a player they're going to move on from, they're going to do that. So I don't place any kind of I don't place any kind of aspersions against a player if he decides that he does not want to take a pay cut because he shouldn't have to believe that he should do that because we have plenty of times that players want to ask for a pay raise and they outperform their contract. I say, well, you signed that contract. I get you outperform that contract, but you live it to your end of the bargain. On the, by the same token, if a team does not want to do that, a player should have to say, I'm going to give you a hometown discount to help out the football team. Then he want to cutting him a year later. I don't blame Stephon Gilmore for not taking that pay cut because the Pages do it was in the best interest of that organization, and he should do what's in the best interest of him as a football player, no matter what kind of team concept people believe that he should adhere to to try to save a member of the New England Patriots. I heard one national radio host say yesterday that Mac Jones has a low ceiling. And frankly, I have said that Mac Jones has a low ceiling also this year. After what you watched from him the other night, what's your assessment of Mac Jones? Well, we talked about this last week, Brady. I said, you got to let him play a little bit, and we saw what happened. They let him play a little bit, let him put the ball down, push the ball down the field, and it worked out pretty well that if Nick Folk 
doesn't hit the upright on that 56-yard field goal, we know what that narrative would have sounded like regarding Mac Jones and beating Tom Brady and beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Brady's return. I never look at ceilings for players because it all depends on, A, what kind of system they're in, B, what kind of quarterback coaching they're going to get, and C, what kind of head coach is going to be there. I think there's no doubt in my mind that the ceiling for Mac Jones is going to be a lot higher, in my opinion, than people want to give him. I think a lot of people say that he has a low ceiling because they don't see the same kind of talent that they see from a Trey Lance with the San Francisco 49ers or Justin Fields with the Chicago Bears or Trevor Lawrence, no matter what kind of dumpster fire is going on down there in Jacksonville. People look at Mac Jones and they compare him to those other quarterbacks in this draft and they say his ability is not the same as those guys because those guys have wild ability. Well, Mac Jones had a lot of wild plays last year for the Alabama Crimson Tide winning a national championship, and yet there's always a, yeah, but look who he had with him. Well, if he didn't make those kind of plays, then people would say he's not a good quarterback. You can't play fast and loose when you try to attach an agenda to Mac Jones. He's going to be just fine because we had this same conversation, Brady, with Tom Brady. What was his ceiling? It was a low ceiling. Did he want to be one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of football? Not saying that Mac Jones is going to be on the same kind of path, but I think we need to really watch it and say his ceiling, where is it going to be at? Because it all depends on what he can do in the system with the Patriots, and you can't expect that he's going to do the same thing with the Patriots that Tom Brady did for 20 years with that organization. Well, we'll see what the Pats do, and Mac Jones does this weekend, Sunday afternoon in Houston against the hapless, but same record as you, Houston Texans. So, Freddie Coleman, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, tonight on WDEV, we'll have it for you after Dodgers and Cardinals, which is on ESPN National Radio. Freddie, who you got in that one, Scherzer or Wainwright? Man, it's hard to go against Scherzer because that guy has been throwing BBs ever since he got to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you know Wainwright would love nothing better to kind of upset everything by putting the Dodgers, a team that won 106 games in the regular season, and having them out of the playoffs at the wild card playoff. But Max Scherzer is just at a different level. And I know in a one-and-done situation with all the pressure in the Dodgers, Anything can happen, but I'm going to trust that Max Scherzer will find a way to get that done against a very game St. Louis Cardinals team that will not back down against the Dodgers tonight in Los Angeles. Freddie, look forward to listening to you late night tonight, and we will talk to you again next week. Oh, it's a pleasure, Freddie. You be well, my friend, and take care.